Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Pundit is the football trivia game, ideal for the football head in your life. Every sale of Pundit using the code LIONS at checkout earns you a 10% discount plus a donation for the Lions Food Hub. Visit punditgames.co.uk to order your copy or visit at punditgames on Twitter. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin. Set no substitute. Hello dear listeners, welcome to Achtung Millwall, number one Millwall podcast. No something for the weekend for you this week, dear listeners. Uh, Neil's not very well. Big shout out to Neil Fissler, my, my um, co-pilot on the Something for the Weekend show. So instead, I thought rather than do a duet, I'd give you a solo album. Just me strumming away with my acoustic guitar ahead of tomorrow's trip to Loftus Road, of course. Uh, big game. I'm uh, just looking at an interview here in the Metro the interview with Matt Nash of the Metro with Tom Bradshaw, who is stating that February is a very big month for Mill. Yes, it is, Tom. Um, nice piece on Tom, actually, um, about his, his you know increased playing time this season, his ability to, to run the line up front, often chasing not an overload of chances for for Tom up there, is there? And But he's doing a huge amount of work. Peace makes reference to him with seven goals and two assists. Does that justify Gary Rowett's faith? In you asks Matt. He says, I'm not taking that for granted, but it's been the longest stint of starts that he's had at Millwall. I actually think Tom Bradshaw is a really effective player. I mean, you can talk about lack of finishing, and that's the the fundamentally the job of the number nine, isn't it, listeners, to, to score goals. But um, in terms of contribution to the team, you know, I can't think off the hand who's going to be an adequate replacement for him if he were to be injured. He has suffered with injury over the course of his time with, with Millwall. I suppose Andreas Vogel-Sammer would be the obvious starting. He does have his critics down the den, I think somewhat unfairly. Um, he would, of course, uh, bring work rate. Um, whether he'd bring any better finishing rate than Tom Bradshaw is, is debatable. Um, Millwall obviously go to tomorrow's London derby, eighth in, in the table. It is a huge opportunity, and we do, as this article with Tom Bradshaw says, we do have a... A massive opportunity in front of us. Tomorrow's game does see a, a sold-out away section. 3,000 Millwall will be travelling across to West London, including myself. Uh, I'm gonna, I haven't been to many away games this season, listeners, for various reasons. 
Um, I am able to get to tomorrow's game on the end of the uh, the, city, the central line, isn't it? And Gary Rowett speaking to Richard Corley says he's excited by a fixture-heavy month for the Lions. Rangers come into the game not in great form. That's not my words. That's the uh, Rangers manager Neil Critchley described his fall his sides not have not being in a great moment after just one win in last ten matches. Uh, so this is a massive opportunity. Uh, Rowett speaking to Richard Corley, as I've said, he says. Uh, Rangers have got good players and a good manager. Uh, it's a tough one to come into mid-season, blah, 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 blah. We're going to go there, get on the front foot and try and find the right blend. If we can, we'll have a go in front of our fans. That's what it's all about. 3,000 travelling, incredible following. Um, I thought we actually got on the front foot, as the football expression has it, quite well against Sunderland. I know that one all um, and that sense of points dropped at the end of the game. Um, left us all with a bit of a sour taste at the end of uh, Saturday's match. But overall, um, yes, you can talk about chances not being taken, but overall I felt we played well against Sunderland. Certainly in that first half, up until the injury to Mason Bennett, more about that in a moment, I thought we actually looked quite, um, quite, you know, quite lively. Uh, dare I say it, dangerous going forwards. You know, this, this is what we want to see tomorrow. Uh, 3,000 will be going there and get incredible backing, as Gary Rowett says. These, these, this is a winnable game, listeners. This is a massive, massive opportunity tomorrow. Clearly, Gary Rowett is enjoying the, the momentum of the moment. He's talking about the, uh, the, the, the crowd last Saturday. More about that later, actually. I thought it might be interesting just to look at some of the bigger crowds that we've had at the Den, the new Den, since 1993. Um some good news, I think it's good news-ish, or not such bad news. Mason Bennett is uh, still visiting specialists to discover the full extent of his injury. It seems as though he's not broken anything. Um, a lot of swelling, says this article here, again Richard Corley. The, the, the vibe that I'm picking up is he hasn't broken anything, which uh, I must admit in the moment on, on Saturday when the doctor came to, to visit him on, on the pitch. And made that X sign. I thought, blimey, he's broken his leg, which, um, you know, there's a year out at the very least, nearly. Um, so hopefully this, this injury is it's not great, but it's not the worst it could have been. Um, he's still visiting specialists, so there's still no full diagnosis as to how and when uh, he might be making any kind of comeback. Uh, whether that will be this season, I don't know, but he at least hasn't busted his leg, listeners. That's... that's um, that's the big thing. If it's if it's anything like a, like like a ligament that can recover, then that's one thing. If you've broken your leg, you rarely, in, in my opinion, footballers rarely come back the same player after a busted leg. So fingers crossed for Mason. I, the player that I really like, I thought he was looking, you know, really um, dynamic last Saturday. It was such a gutter to to see him go down like that. Other articles on the South London Press page. Nice piece praising uh, Charlie Cressel. I thought he played well. Last week, what did you think, listeners? Do you like Carly, Charlie Cresswell? I thought he did really well stepping into big shoes with Sean Hutchinson out for uh, an extended period now with this 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 injury, this groin injury that he's got. I thought um, you know Cresswell was again has been another player who's starting to take a little bit of heat from the Millwall crowd. Um, I thought he did a really good job against Sunderland. Um, yes, you can talk about um, who was at fault for the goal. Um, I personally believe George Long made an error there, but um, no one can undo anything now. We can't get the goal back that was disallowed in the first half and we can't undo George Long coming for a ball that uh, probably should have been nowhere near. But there we are. One final piece on the current news before I um, 
move along. Um, Tom Bradshaw, just going back to Tom Bradshaw, was nominated for Championship Player of the Month, which is a nice tribute to him. You know, we've said already in this show and, and many, many other shows how much work he's doing up front. And to be nominated for the Championship's Player of the Month, he, it, it, I don't think he was successful, but to be nominated is um, a real boost, a boost for his morale. I hope that he presses on, keeps plugging away like he does, uh, he's an invaluable member of a team that has got itself in, in with a shout at the top six, and that's that's a massive, massive opportunity for a club like Millwall. Interesting piece on the news at Den, just to change channel, change my news channel. Um, article here uh, that Millwall are unlikely to explore free agent mar- the free agent market after failing to recruit a striker during the transfer window. Gary Rowett believes it will be difficult for Millwall to use the free agency market to sign a striker. Reasons he's given reasons he's given here are that there's a small market, small sized market, and that most of any new addition would, would likely need a number of weeks to get up to speed fitness wise before being able to contribute to the club's playoff push. You know, we keep saying the same thing over and over, listeners. This is a big February. We've got uh, six uh, fixtures, I think, left in Feb, and massive opportunity. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna start up a bingo every time I use the phrase massive opportunity, listeners. Um, you can get with buy a ticket and maybe we'll put some money into the food hub for the winner. Q- uh, Q- QPR have signed Chris Martin on this free agency market. Um, Garrett Rowett commenting on the general principle says it's a difficult one. Someone like Chris Martin, he's a top striker, he's worked with him before, but you're bringing in someone that hasn't played that much football and hasn't started regularly. You know, you're going to have to build up fitness levels and get them to a point where they can go and start and impact games. For us, we know where we are. This is Millwall. We know what we've done. We couldn't get the type of striker that we wanted, which is the case in a lot of windows. You can't always get what you want. We just don't want to take a different type of striker that doesn't necessarily fit what we want to do. Um, One thing I will say about Gary Rowett, he is a strong-minded individual. He's taken a lot of flack over the, what is it now, three, four years he's been with us um, for his tactics. He does produce results. You know, I, I know that some... Uh, on this show and and elsewhere, all the other all the other podcasts and vlogs and and on on, on the social media, there's a lot of critics of Gary Rowett, but he knows what he wants. He, you've got to admire that strength of character that knows the kind of football he wants, the kind of player he wants, despite thousands of, of people shouting and and calling for different approaches and all the things that you you see in here around the den. I kind of take my hat off to it, listeners, don't you? Rowett says here, regardless of whether we go and find someone as a free transfer, we're still going to be sitting here asking whether we scored enough goals and whether we won enough games. I don't think there's an easy answer to that, other than waiting until the end of the season and seeing where we finish. I think that's that's an interesting way to put it by Gary Rowett there. So no free agency. And finally, Gary Ma- Gary Manager? Gary Rowett. Maybe he's Gary Manager. Gary, I might call him that. Gary Manager. Gary Manager is adamant, says here that injuries won't derail our playoff challenge. Obviously, with uh, Sean Hutchinson there, Mason Bennett, and also Tyler, Tyler Bury and Callum Stiles, um, one might expect that that would make a, a severe dent. Gary Rowett is, however, gung-ho. We haven't got the riches and the resources of some other clubs in and around us, but we've got a hell of a lot of other things going on for us. We've got a lot of fight, we've got a lot of spirit, we've got players like Zian, playing really well, and I think he's got the ability to be as good as any of the players in these top six teams, like many of our players. Um, you, there are massive positives, he says. You saw it at the weekend, Hutch is out. Cressy, the old nickname thing, Cressy comes into the team, performs. 
Uh, at some point, Shaxx uh, was going to have to come in. Lenny, Len Ryan Leonard, Shackleton, Ryan Leonard, and uh, Berkey and Duncan. Well, there's some speculation on our WhatsApp group, listeners, about what nickname um, Duncan Watmore is going to acquire. Because in this piece, he refers to Shaxx, uh, Lenny, Berkey, and Duncan Watmore. And the um, I think the hot tip that we're going to put out there is it's Dunks. Dunks. Dunky doesn't work, does it? What do you think? What nickname would you give uh, Duncan Watmore? I think Dunks works for me. Churchillian style finish. We'll stick together and we'll keep fighting, says Gary Manager. Gary Manager says that. Gary Rowett. Achtung. Anyway, to move along, last Saturday's game versus Sunderland was notable in one other direction, of course, the size of the crowd. 18,524 crammed into the, the, the den. I still call it the new den. Do you still call it the new den? It often slips out into the new ground. It's 30 years old this year, listeners. But anyway, that was, that was the third highest attendance at the new ground. I thought it might be interesting just to run through the top five, I'm, I, me being me, I made a list of the, of the top um, the top eight, but top five probably works works better. So in number five, I need the old Alan Freeman um, backdrop, don't I? The, uh, the, the down, 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 down. Number five was Leicester City in uh, 18th of February 2016. FA Cup fifth round, a 1-0 win, famous, famous results. That late, late, late goal from Sean Cummins. We've mentioned it a good few times. I think it's one of my favourite editions of Achtung Mill. I, I might even um, put the link out there again after this solo album. Dear listeners, a 1-0 win projecting us into the quarterfinal at Spurs. The less said about that game, the better. But that was played at Millwall at Zampa Road in front of 18,012 people, which included myself. Did it include you, listeners? What a day. Uh, an explosion of noise. I think I said to um, on one of the recent listed Lions shows, a mate of mine lives in the area, he's not Millwall, but he was at home this particular day. He lives on the other side of Southwark Park. And he said that when that goal went in, it was akin to being an earthquake, like an explosion had taken place. Um, wonderful, wonderful day. Probably, was that the high point of Neil Harris's management career? Was it the Wembley win? Or was it the, uh, the you know the victory over Everton? I think you could probably choose each one of those for different reasons. Um, given that Leicester were still champions of the Premier League at the time that they sent the team to us, and the desperation with which they tried to claw their way back into the game, I think that that Leicester game was the high point of Neil Harris's managerial career at Millwall, or his, his managerial career full stop. I know he's livened up Gillingham recently with a few wins. But I think that's the high point for me. What do you think, listeners? In four, in fourth position, is 18,510 packed into the den to watch Mill beat Oldham 5-0 in the promotion season. I think this was the championship um, coronation game played on the 5th of May 2001. Seems recent and yet a long time ago, listeners. I can still... Remember uh, going to the den for this particular win. I think a Neil Harris hat trick, if memory serves. Paul Moody. Um, can't remember if anyone else might have been Cahill, possibly. I don't know. Um, for the for the other goals, um, 
18,510. This was a day, I think, that we occupied the uh, the away end. I think the Oldham fans, such as there were, were given one block, probably where I sit now in block one. Um, that was quite a, quite a lovely afternoon. Um, it was like a procession. It was a coronation, a 5-0 win. You can find footage of that particular game on, on YouTube. I've seen it. It's well worth a look and um, cheer up Mark McGee era. Um, golden days that never end. I think Roy Orbison sang that. Certainly, uh, it was a, it was a season and a period that occupies a very dear um, space in my heart for many other reasons, personal reasons as well. Um, so number three on my list of eighteen thousand plus attendances was, of course, last Saturday's game. Mill won, Sunderland won. Uh, in the championship, full for Fed not twenty twenty three, played in front of eighteen thousand five hundred and twenty four fans. Um, it was great to see the den full up, listeners, wasn't it? Nothing, no finer sight than seeing the the, the place packed out, um, and clearly it's it's always helped and boosted by big travelling support. And Sunderland are a big club. Make no mistake, that's a major name. They brought a lot of fans, and that really helped uh, take us into this this kind of. Um, stratospheric zone of attendances so that's number three uh in two in two another big came early on in the new dens construction period built obviously in in uh, 1993 completed in 1993 certainly um this was a nil nil draw at home to chelsea in the fa cup fourth round 28th of january 1995 18,573 were in the ground. Um, that was obviously overshadowed completely. I think the game was quite drab from memory. I can't remember an awful lot about the game, uh, but it was overshadowed by the uh, magnificent, wonderful, epoch-making win at Stamford Bridge in the replay that followed. But uh, there we are. That's the number two on the list of all-time high attendances at the Den. But number one, in number one, the top attendance ever, possibly unlikely to ever be broken, I think, because of various safety adjustments that were made to the stadium in the aftermath of um, uh, the events of the early 1990s. Uh, but number one is Arsenal uh, beating us 1-0. That was a late winner. Was it? Was that Tony Adams? This is an FA Cup game. We've seen to play Arsenal a good few times in this in this period. Uh, I'm fairly sure it was a late, late winner for... I'm, I've got an idea it was Tony Adams. I haven't looked at the details of any of these games, listeners. They're just p purely from, um, you know, off the top of my head. That game, I did check the date, was the 10th of January 1994. So that would be in the opening few months of the New Dens construction. Uh, 20,093 were in the ground for that particular fixture. Famously, is it famous? Famous for me, anyway. Famously, I'm going to say famously, the capacity of the den, new new ground, was twenty thousand one hundred and forty-six. I think that still applies officially. It's certainly, the number that I've seen listed whenever you look, and you always do look at any kind of um, you know account of uh, the, the you know like like a Rothman's football yearbook. They don't, they don't exist anymore. But whenever you do look at that kind of reference book, you always look up Millwall, don't you? I do. And I always look at the Dens details, even though I know it over and over again. So 20,146, I believe, is still the official attendance maximum. I don't think we can get that many in the ground physically now because of the they removed a lot of front seats um, around the, the front rows. I think that took it down somewhat. 
but um, that is the biggest attendance at the new ground. Obviously, if you go back to Coldblow Lane, then in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, and I think even in the, as far as the 50s, uh, crowds of 40,000 plus were not uncommon. The, the maximum, I think, and I don't know how you'd ever get 46,000 in the den, was the FA Cup game against Derby, which would be in the uh, 1930s, in the, the semi-final run 1937. Again, I haven't checked that, listeners, just off the top of my head. Um, how you'd ever get got 46,000 into Coldblow Lane is beyond me. I know that the old side stands um, was bigger. That burned down during the Second World War, so um, that ability to, to, to get that many into that side stand certainly went with that. But uh, if you look at the, the attendances for some of the big cup games, the famous one with Newcastle in 1957, the one where there's a famous image of people clinging to the floodlights, that was upwards of um, the high 30s, 40s, I believe. I'll, have, I'll check that whilst I'm talking. How about that? That's, that's my attention to detail. But uh, so certainly as late as the, and the, uh, the 60s, because there was a game against Tottenham, I believe, where we got you know, um, a very, very large attendance. Let's have a look at that. Uh, 42,000 packed in against Birmingham in, uh, in, in 1957. That was, a, that was a loss. I think we played Newcastle. Was that that season, I wonder? Let's have, a, let's have another look. I'll cut all this so it's super smooth, listeners. 45,000 against Newcastle. That's on the 26th of January, 1957. 45,646. And I know the Derby game just topped that by a few hundred. I mean, the, the idea of fixtures of, at that level. Um, and I believe in the 60s we played Spurs. Let's check that whilst I'm in, on a roll of big attendances. Um, let's have a look at that. Tottenham Hotspur, here we are. Uh, 41,000. <laughs> Did you get 41,000 in the old den, listeners? But there we are, big attendances. Um, Certainly by modern standards, uh, last Saturday's game was noteworthy for that very reason. Uh, the third highest attendance at the new ground since its construction in 1993. Now just to close out this solo album, um, I thought it might be fun, my idea of fun anyway, to do a random fixture from the past um, just to touch on tomorrow's trip to, to QPR. And I've picked out at random... Um, it's not random, a bit of the element of um, randomly chosen date anyway. But this is a, a win for Millwall uh, in an FA Cup game in 1900, the 17th of February 1900. So this would be the 1899 to 1900 season. This was a win at Kensal Rise, one of QPR's previous games, uh, previous grounds. Uh, two goals from a famous player, Joe Gettins, scored twice in front of 12,000 at QPR, at Kensal Rise. The Mill team for this particular fixture was uh, goalkeeper W. Cox, uh, number two, C. Burgess, number three, E. Allen, number four, T. Smith, number five, H. Goldie, uh, six is A. Miller, number seven, W. Dryborough, eight, J. Brearley, nine, J. Gettins, we're gonna come back to, to Gettins, number 10, uh, H Banks, going to come back to Herbert Banks, and number 11, D Nickel. And as I've said, this was part of a semi-final, I believe I said, this is part of an FA Cup semi-final run um, for that season. We would actually exit the, the Cup competition 
in 1900 in, in the semi-final against Southampton. Uh, we make it twice in the uh, to the semi-finals. This is the year of the Lions of the South, so 1900, and then again in 1903. This is when we were a major force in the Southern League, uh, known as the Lions of the South. And, you know, it's one of those great what-ifs of history. What if we'd have pressed on from there? Um, one of the reasons for moving away from the island was to try and press on from where we were to try and, um, you know, catch up slightly with Woolwich Arsenal, who had also made the move into the Football League. What if we'd done that? Where would we be? But we probably wouldn't be the mill that we know and love. Uh, so a 2-0 win. I do have a match report of sorts. This is from the Daily Telegraph, dated Monday the 19th of February, 1900. Um, Papers then were laid out in a very different way. I was going to tell you the back page news. It wasn't on the back page. It was actually on one of the inside pages. Let's get you the page number because this is the kind of detail that we do on the show. It's on page number four, strangely, the sports news. Um, Association Cup. Uh, the Telegraph correspondent just uh, does a, a descriptive piece. I don't think he was at the game, but he does a descriptive piece of the uh, the, the matches in the in this round of the, of the FA Cup competition. He does bemoan the poor standard of football and some of the uh, the condition of some of the grounds which resulted in in the emphasis on vigor over skill and also injuries to uh, the number of players including Hayward of QPR as goalkeeper um, which would come to influence the result as he would put it here um, but just to describe the game to Millwall falls the honor of meeting Aston Villa in the next stage of the competition the East London team having beaten Queen's Park Rangers on Saturday by two goals to nil. On their own ground, the Rangers, especially after knocking out the Wolverhampton Wanderers previously, looked to possess an excellent chance of victory, and during the first half of the game they had appreciably, appreciably the bigger share of the play. Their smart attacks, however, were met by exceptionally fine defence on the part of Millwall. Even then we had a Gary Rowett-type manager, didn't we? And the interval arrived at any score, so nil-nil at half-time. Halfway through the second portion of the match, a scrimmage in front of the Rangers' goal ended in the ball being forced into the net. And shortly before the finish, Gettins added a second for Millwall. The winners were generally admitted to have deserved their victory, although it is quite likely that they had not Hayward been injured, they would not have obtained their second goal. I don't know if anyone can say that. Not only did they withstand the vigorous onslaughts of the Rangers admirably in the early part of the game, but staying rather better than their opponents, they, to some extent, broke up the Rangers' attack as the struggle approached its close. Defeated though they were on Saturday, the Rangers have had good reason to be satisfied with their performances in the Cup this season. I reckon he's a QPR fan, this particular correspondent, listeners. And as I say, game was played. the game was played at Kensal Rise. What is that? That's uh, 1900. That's 123 years ago. I thought it was quite a nice little um, link with tomorrow's game. I picked out a couple of well, free players actually just to try and put some flesh on the bones as to who some of these players were. We, we have covered uh, Burt Banks on some of the, the shows that I did with Neil but I thought I'd just mention him again. Uh, Herbert Burt Banks as he was known uh, was Millwall's first ever England international when he was selected to win his only cup against Ireland in the home championships in March 1901. Before this he'd played for Glasgow in an intercity match despite as an Englishman not being eligible. I think back then rules were, were bent according to what put bums on seats inside grounds. He played as an inside right and signed for 10 quid from third Lanark 
for Millwall uh, in, in March 1899 and averaged a goal every two games for the Dockers before he returned to his native Midlands to join Aston Villa. After leaving football, Bert played, uh, worked as a metal turner for a Birmingham engineering firm, was then a warehouseman in a screw works. Born in uh, 1874 in Coventry, died in Smethwick in 1947. His career, his football career is wonderful. Listen to this, it's played for the 72nd Seaforth Highlanders, Everton, um, St Mirren, Everton, 3rd Lanark, Millwall Athletic, Aston Villa, Bristol City, Watford, Coventry, Stafford Rangers and Verities Athletic. Um, there we are. Um, two other names. Joe Gettins is a famous name. I th I'm sure, I've, I know I've mentioned uh, Burt Banks. I'm sure Neil and I have mentioned Joe Gettins many, many times. These details are all taken from Neil's fantastic Who's Who book, which I recommend if you haven't got it already. Why not? Look it up on, online. It's well worth It's a reference of every Millwall player that's ever played for the club. And I, I find it invaluable. Very fascinating reading. Joe Gettins played for Mill between 1894 and 1905. 118 games, 69 goals for Joe. Born in Middlesbrough, 1874. He died in Molsey, 1954. Joe was one of the many noted amateurs, another amateur like, uh, like Burt Banks. Uh, amateurs to assist Millwall and is the only player to play in two FA Cup semi-final appearances. We already mentioned the QPR game on the first of these two semi-final runs, 1900 and 1903. Uh, he's described as an exceptionally talented inside forward, held in the highest regard by his teammates, who presented him with a gold-mounted umbrella to ce celebrate his 24th birthday. Um, he represented the London FA, won the FA Amateur Cup with Middlesbrough, and he was awarded the DSO uh, during Distinguished Service Order during the First World War and later the Order of the British Empire whilst becoming a Vice President of the Mill Supporters Club. A teacher, Professor of Education and a University Principal, he held, he held education posts in the British Army. What a substantial figure, listeners. And I bet, I bet many, many people have never heard of Joe Gettins. He was clearly held in high esteem by both his fellow players for Millwall and the supporters. Um, Joe Gettins, there we are, played for us between 1894 and 1905. And finally, the final name I've chosen from this particular fixture is uh, Walter Cox. He was in goal in this particular uh, game that we've looked at today. Uh, between 1899 and 1900, 40 games for Mill we played. Born in Southampton in 1872. He died in Eastleigh, also still down at Haven, around that way, isn't it, Eastleigh? Waterlooville, 1930, um, played for a couple of Southampton clubs, Walston, Waverley, Southampton, St Mary's, a precursor to the modern-day Southampton, Bristol, St George's, Bedminster, then Mill Athletic in 1899. He would go on to Manchester City, Berry, Preston, Dundee and Heart of Midlothian. He's a former tinsmith. He plied his trade in both uh, England and Scotland. Uh, I, profession you don't really hear anymore there must be tinsmiths so not, not something I'm, I'm aware of in the modern world now but um, anyway a former tinsmith Walter applied his trade in both England and Scotland ironically he started his career as an outfield player but came to the nation's notice when Mill made the headlines on their route to the FA Cup semi-final in 1900 the very run that we're talking about for this QPR game uh, Walter was a very alert and powerful custodian whose enhanced reputation paved his move to Manchester City, but he only made a single first-team appearance for, for City. 
later he worked as a labourer, and then on the railway works, at the railway works in Eastleigh in Hampshire. There we are, QPR nil, Mill 2, FA Cup 1900. Let's hope for a similar result tomorrow at Loftus Road. As ever, I thought it might be interesting just to have a very brief rustle through the rest of the newspaper. I was going to say, let's have a look on what's on the front page. And papers, as I've said a few times, is the Daily Telegraph used to have adverts on the front page. Um, but it is an interesting link with what was in the news, because that's, that's the, the kind of purpose of looking to see what's going on. And on the front page, amongst all the adverts, there's one for Madame Tussauds Waxworks. And you'll get a big clue as to what was going on in the news when you see the exhibits at Madame Tussauds. The Transvaal and Boer War was what was going on. Um, they have a realistic tableau representing a scene in the Transvaal. Lifelike portrait models of Lord Roberts of Kandahar. Lord Kitchener of Khartoum, Sir Redvers, Redvers Buller. Uh, Sir Charles Warren, Lord Matthew and Baden-Powell. And on the Boer side, uh, President Kruger, President Stein, Commandant Cronje, with delightful music and orchestral performances. That's nice. Um, and if that's not good enough for you listeners, you've got a Chamber of Horrors, the Dalston Murders, a portrait model of Louise Massett, 12 and 6 for children to get in. Oh, no, uh, sorry, one shilling for adults, children under 12, six pennies. Um, go and see the Chamber of Horrors, the Dalston Murder, or a recreation of the Boer War. Elsewhere in show business, these are all adverts, listen, I've not looked at whatever, the news obviously is the um, unfolding um, battles in, in South Africa, which was um, arguably one of the first modern wars, I would say. Certainly it didn't go well for the, the British sides initially until resort to tactics that today we accuse others of in some ways, concentration camps and the like. Certainly it was the first modern conflict, I think that's that's fair fair to say. Um, Albert Chevalier is playing uh, the, the Queen's Hall Chevalier recitals today and daily at three o'clock. He's singing the Costa's Serenade, a burlesque French song, Mon Amour, Thibault, Anki Panky. We all like that, don't we? And others, The Quickness of the End Deceives the Highs. There's another song for you, if I had Maurice Chevalier. There we are. So the Boer War is effectively the big news of the moment. And it wasn't going particularly well. I think that's probably enough from the Daily Telegraph of February the 19th, 1900. Well, there we are, listeners. As I say, I just want to give a shout out to Neil. He's not 100% at the moment. So I just want to say, uh, get well soon, mate. Uh, hopefully we'll get him back on the show next week. I wanted to put something out for your aural delectation ahead of tomorrow's game at Queen's Park Rangers. A win tomorrow be, will be a massive, massive shot in the arm. It's not vital. Um, a point will be a lot better than nothing, a lot better than coming back with nothing. But how big will a win be? 3,000 Millwall fans are travelling. I'm going to be there. If you see me, do say hello. It's always nice to get, uh, gets, you know, don't, if the feedback's too direct and you don't like the show, then don't bother. But if you do love the show, then feedback's lovely. Feedback's lovely, listeners. There we are. So now I'll be there. I'll be in the upper deck tomorrow. If you see a bloke talking to himself madly into his iPhone, that's me. Until uh, the weekend, listeners. Um, a tout à l'heure. Allez, Maurice Chevalier, Albert Chevalier. Till the next edition. Bye for now. Achtung. Millwall.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.